Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Chad Fraudsyth, more like. Um, Football. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Slap, slap, slap. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through that mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. The podcast just started exactly where you said the kids, the from, kids Sandy from Sandy Hook were murdered, yeah, which I really enjoy. That the, the, I can, I can, you I now can, have that. I can take as, you out of context. Blackmail. Yeah, yeah. Brad was talking about Alex Jones. Welcome back to the different not yeah, podcast. Yeah, let's not let's not include that. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast that gently knocks on your door, wakes you up with a cup of tea in the morning, and says, "How you doing? You all right? Do you know what it is? It's a different knock." Did you sleep well? Yeah. What do you want to do this morning? You want to talk about Arsenal? Hey. Let's do it. Hey, we got a platform for you. We got two white guys with, with some opinions. Do you know what you sound like? You Go sound on. like the fucking broadband adverts that sometimes come on, oh, fucking on, our, on our fucking, <laughs> on the podcast. Hey, football's coming home. Oh, for fuck's sake. Do yeah. you need Wi-Fi to watch the football? <laughs> come, come home to your house. Do you only feel emotionally connected when you watch sport? Because we can monetize that. That's great. Did you see the? There was a um a bank uh, like a fake bank ad by that Sean Burke guy. He's like an Irish um sketch comic. No, I'm doing that thing where someone hasn't seen something and therefore I'm I'm not gonna I'm not no. I'm not gonna describe it and then and then you have to fake laugh. I hate that shit. I've got a real thing about people showing you videos. I hate it because the thing is is like. It's you're showing them a video and it's like, oh, this is a really, really funny video. And if they don't laugh, it's like the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty peak, isn't it? And also, you know, they're fake laughing and you're like, fuck, fuck off. <laughs> Welcome back to the Different Art Podcast. That was a very bizarre introduction. It really was. It really was. I get that me and Celeste have vastly different interests. Like, she doesn't like football. It's not she doesn't Celeste like Celeste's Brad's partner, just to. Yeah. Um, she she's not into football. She, uh, she I'm I'm quite into like nerdy stuff. I like I like Star Wars. Literally no interest. I've I've made her sit through forty minutes of a Star Wars movie, and um, she was she gave it her best shot. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds like she had to do something. Was she like dressed up or? No, 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 no. Literally just watch the movie. But I get that all the time. I show her videos and she either, we, we have a really weird, it's like a little Venn diagram. There's like a good niche of things that we both find hilarious. But yeah. then sometimes I will be cackling at a video and she'll be like, what? Well, I don't get it. Yeah. And it's just dead. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite a sad moment, isn't it? You feel like you've, uh, you're enriching the person's life and all you're doing is wasting their time, which we're currently wasting our like, listeners' time. Yeah. So let's, about two and a half <laughs> minutes of it. So let's get into it. <laughs> Let's get to some Arsenal. Uh, How are you, Brad? Just before we do that, you're right. Yeah, 
I'm good, mate. I'm good. Good. Um, That's good. We're doing good. I've got work later. Unfortunately. Yeah. I know. Listen. Oh, mate. I, I can... I cannot wait to leave that absolute, like, temple to capitalism. Are you, can, can we say where you work? Because yeah. it, it's pretty, I can't. No one, listen, no one listens to it. I work in Madame Tussauds yeah. as like a day job. And genuinely, mate, oh my God. Any secrets? Any, any, any behind the scenes sort of? Behind the scenes secrets. Um, Have they still got that one of Alfie and Zoella? No, no, they, they, I think they shipped them to Blackpool. <laughs> is that uh, like, is that they, like getting raided? <laughs> basically, they've got like fucking six or seven of them around the world, um, and they just regularly swap them in and out and stuff without warning. But um, mate, it's it's mental. The people that that go there are weird, right? And the, like celeb chasing people. It's a certain type of. It, it's, a, it's a certain type of voyeurism where you want to go and take a picture with a fake celebrity and act like you're with them. It, yeah, it's a quite a strange idea, isn't it? Yeah, and um, it's a very exploitative, exploitative business model. Mm. To put it into context, I, in five minutes with one family, have sold tickets that have cost three times more than my daily pay rate Fuck at that yeah. job. That's so dark. <laughs> God. Also, surely like all the overheads are really like, are they, it's just statues. So it's not, is there much of a run cost? Um, I mean, I mean, I guess like, I the building and the lights and shit and the, I and don't the staff, really know. It, it's difficult. Cause like, can it pay you? So. As in, <laughs> as in I've done, I've done the maths on how much it costs. It costs them for their staff and it's nothing. I've heard rumors of how many people they need to get through the door, right. as in literal number wise, um, to 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 break even. And I'm not sure if it's true. Brad's a two swords in the know. Itk. I really hope none none of my no one <laughs> listens to this podcast. Where are you leaving, so It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> what are they going to do for um, you? He- hello, hello, my boss. Uh, <laughs> I am leaving soon. <laughs> you just don't know yet. <laughs> You'll find out soon. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. It's mental. It's mental. It's really it is, and it's a real shame because the people are really nice. Like the people, like some of the people I work with are genuinely, absolutely some of the nicest people I've ever worked with. It's yeah. just the business model from the top up is just so ridiculously exploitative. For example, they 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 charge they charge enough per ticket that in one order I could triple my daily pay rate. And earlier this summer, they were talking about cutting two members of staff on the ride that's in the building that in the opinions of every member of staff that's trained to work on there is a serious jeopardy to health and safety to cut costs and save money. It'd save them 150 pound a day. I've sold three times that in an order in, in five minutes. Like it's, it's mental. (sighs) Wild, wild. You can tell it's international break. Capitalism. Um, Yes, indeed. Hey, listen, Brad. Arsenal players have scored seven goals on international break, which is more than we've scored. <laughs> yeah, we've scored five goals <laughs> in the league. <laughs> hey, didn't Thomas Party score a free kick? He scored two goals, mate. One was from outside the box. His bonus, maybe, maybe his boner for scoring that has finally gone down. 
He's fucking. Mate. He's, 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 he's itched that oh, wait, scratch or whatever it is. Wait, where's my fucking. There was a. F- oh, there was honestly the most hilarious. Um, Tiki Taka Connor, or as he's now known, Connor Hume, um, fucking tweeted out a joke. And I love it when people don't get sarcasm because this guy took it seriously and genuinely went away and did the maths. So um, Connor put something like. Um, Two goals in two games for party for Ghana, but zero goals in 897 attempts for Arsenal. And so someone went away, found out exactly how many shots Arsenal have had since party joined. Oh my God. And went, oh, so what you're saying is, is that Thomas Party's had 10% of the shots at Arsenal whilst he's been there, are you? I don't think that's true. I'm just fucking out. Fucking get a get life. A life. <laughs> get a life, mate. And that, hey, that's a good segue, Brad. Well done. Um, yeah. So what I want to talk about a little bit is the Sami Nasri thing. Mm. So I know I, I know you've seen the picture and I Ooh, think what probably... a segue! What a segue, mate! That was well, that was expertly done. Well, you don't do a hundred podcasts and uh, learn nothing, Brad. <laughs> Stick with me, son. <laughs> yeah, twizzles the moustache. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I, look, so we've I, if you haven't seen the pictures, Sami Nasri performed in a uh, charity match where Arsene Wenger was managing and he did a team talk and there's a video of it and i love it it's amazing it's so simple but it's i miss him so much it's such a beautiful bit of language he just says like Mm. all you have to do receive the ball make a good decision and execute it that's all you need to do and it's so simple and the way he explains it is so beautiful um but yeah there's a a picture of sammy nazri and there was a massive kind of um reaction to it online a lot of the kind of accounts that would spout stuff about mental health two days ago or whenever World Mental Health Awareness Week was, uh, would all, you know, again, exploit that for clicks and say, oh, Sam Nasri's kind of let himself go. And look, I don't really want to talk about the kind of the the abuse because it's fat shaming and it's wrong. But I do think it's an interesting conversation because, I, like, and I'm, I'm kind of reflecting myself and I think we should reflect together, like, you know, about stuff in the podcast because we've talked about William before. I think there's a difference though in the- There is. There's a kind of fit for purpose thing. On the mm-hmm. on the on the kind of the the size and like if you're a professional footballer, there is a prerequisite of if you have to be fit for purpose of what you're doing. Oh, Jonathan Ross, there's a prerequisite. There's a prerequisite, <laughs> and you have to be fit for purpose. Uh, you have to be fit for purpose for what you're doing, and it looked as though William was not fit for purpose, right? But I yeah. do think it fits into, and I'll, I want to get your thoughts on that first. But I also think it does fit into a wider context around how football fans think about footballers. And, you know, it's, it's the kind of, product. it's the, yeah, they are a product and, and they, there's, a, there's all the assumptions. And I, I did something yesterday of like, of, of Rogers. So there was all the rumors around him and uh, yeah, not just football players, like football, all, all, all sort of characters in football. Everything. Everything. Yeah, with Rogers, where it said something like, oh, he might want to go to Newcastle. And I was like, oh, it's a stupid move for Rogers. Why? If he gets more money, if he's happy doing it, if that's what he wants to do, like in any other career, I wouldn't think that. But like we think of footballers as these like, they're all trying to reach the top. They all have exactly the same goals. They all want to do the same thing. They all work out exactly the same. And we get to project everything onto them, call them any name mm-hmm. we can under the sun. And that's totally fine. And I think we have to start transitioning into a new thought process around football and footballers and considering them as top level sports people that we respect like i think there's a lot of lack of respect people doing a job at the end of the day like one thing that i've noticed kind of maturing into my 20s is i think everyone has this idea of footballers that they do it for the love of the game 
And that's why Alan Shearer stayed at Newcastle. And 100%, that's probably why Alan Shearer stayed at Newcastle. Because he loved the club. He already had his Premier League medal. Whatever. That doesn't really exist a lot. Like, you can count true journeymen on a, on one hand. I... Do you mean like people who stayed at one club? One club, man. Yeah. yeah. People that have stayed at one club or people that have moved, even people that have moved to their boyhood club and then turned down more yeah, 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 attractive yeah. offers yeah. from yeah. elsewhere. As in, because, yeah. you know, Shearer was in a Newcastle for his whole career. Yeah. And it is because this is a job. Mm. And a lot of the time, this is a job where footballers have a very limited lifespan to earn a lot of money to sustain their lifestyle. I'm not saying it's right, but you can understand that, for example, there was this this massive thing that kicked off when um, Mateus Pereira moved from West Brom after they got relegated yeah. to the Saudi League. Hmm. That's a 23-year-old man who can go over there, sign a contract for four years, be 27 in his peak years when that four years finishes, but be financially set for the rest yeah. of his life. His statement said that. Have his, have his family financially set for generations. And then come back to the championship or the League One or the Premier League and play out the rest of his career. You know, this is a job for 95% of footballers. Will there be people who are fans of clubs that will then want to stay at those clubs forever? To a degree. Hmm. Um, but it all depends on the circumstances. If Harry Kane has a Premier League winner's medal with Tottenham, he probably doesn't leave Tottenham. We're also in dreamland, in, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, I think I reckon that even if that we'd won the Euros this summer, that might have stopped him from really pushing from a move because mm. there's no longer a push to be seen as, as you know, because he like we take the piss. He literally has less professional honors than Yaya Sonogo, <laughs> and that will be held over his career and head for as long as he's a pundit post his career and all of these things. Oh God, Harry Kane, the pundit. No thanks. It's it's a career and they're going to do what they want to do and they mm. need to do to either elongate their career or earn as much money as they can whilst they can. On the Willian versus Nasri thing, it is this idea of fit for purpose. I don't care if Sami Nasri or the centre-back for a Sunday league team is carrying an extra 10 to 15 pounds because... It's not our business, not, it doesn't matter. Like, and also, like they're 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 done like Sammy Nasri's retired and the fucking centre back for the Sunday league team like he's got a job he's got a life he's got kids he wants to play football for fun Sammy Nasri's doing this for charity you know it's ridiculously hard to stay at peak level performance for that many years mm. once you see it with loads of people when they retire they fall off the wagon and they become rather large in certain senses because they've spent 37 years of their life 38 years of their life not probably enjoying what they're eating. And then they go out and they try these foods and it's amazing. But with Willian, it is the idea of, if you are in this career, even if it's just for a paycheck and for a job, you have to be fit for purpose. If I turn up to my job, hanging out of my asshole, I can't see straight and I can't walk straight. I'm not fit for purpose. Bumping into the statues. Yeah, I'm not fit for purpose. And I am then a danger to how that business runs. It's the same with Willian. And I think that other fans took it too far by fat shaming. 
rather than just going, this isn't acceptable because mm. he's a professional footballer. But with with Nasri, I'm like, just let the boy live. Like he's yeah, done. I, His career's I, over. I think I think footballers exist in this kind of liminal state state or space where there's a kind of there's a there's a projection onto them of like our emotions. So like we do mm. know consciously that there it's a job, and I think you're right to sort of present that as a framework. Like it's a, we we know it's a job, but because there's so much emotion behind it that we project onto them. So to give an example, like you know we go. Oh mate, Chambers is done. Or we go like, oh fucking like you know, Doozy's gonna go rot in the reserves or whatever. Like imagine saying that about like any other career. Like imagine saying that about and you know, oh so you know, Bill from accounts, he's he's done out here. Like you know, like or you know, or like Stacy in in account- accounting, she's she's the goat. Like we obviously project a kind of a sense of um, <laughs> Stacy in accounting is the goat. We project go a on, sense Stacey. of. Um, uh, of uh, like the hierarchy of football onto it and everything that comes with it and the aspiration and the emotion and the passion and the support we do all that and i just think there should should be a bit of space for exactly what you say being aware of what that it's a job for these people not everyone has the same goals not everyone has the same ambitions these people are highly trained and as long as they're fit for purpose it shouldn't really matter and not i don't know and and i need to remember to do this remembering that they're people that they're just people mm. and you know they might be going through a tough time you know someone someone having a, a bad you know bad bit of form or something could not be because they're done or because they're a shit footballer or do you know what i mean it's like i think we we immediately put um put a, a high price on these people because we have so much investment and a hyperbole yeah, 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 and and everything in football is is talked about in and with hyperbole. It's all it always is. I do it. Everyone does it. Yeah. Every, because we're so used to sensationalizing things, especially people of our generation. We've grown up in the Sky Sports News era, like the real kind of building towards the 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 kind of global monolith that is the Premier League and sensationalism and journalism around it. So you can't help but be sucked into that picture. And the stakes are so high. Yeah. I think that depends where you are and what club you're at. But yeah, absolutely. The stakes can be really high, really low, or there are no stakes at all. Mm. So you create your own stakes with stories around football. As in, you know, as an Arsenal fan, the stakes for me have always been high because, you know, we're we're either trying to challenge for the league or trying to finish top four and then we're falling away or whatever, blah, 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 blah. As a as a West Brom fan, you know, the constant battle and threat with relegation again is is big. And then if you're I'm trying to think of just a, a bog standard run of the mill Premier League club that stayed middle of the pack for the last fifteen or so years. It's quite difficult. But if you are in that that middle ground, you're going to create your own stories and sensationalism mm. around other stories in the Premier League mm. or mm. in the world of football to kind of give you something to believe to be in because it's, it's in. because it's an emotional thing. I just, I yeah. just, I guess what I'd say is like I hope and I hope we can find on this podcast and generally moving forward in fo- in football remembering it's a game it's a job and just finding you know it sounds a bit sesame street but a bit more kindness like a bit more like a bit more kind of awareness and remembering that we are projecting a lot onto these people you know we spend hours and hours of our time invested in this thing and these mm-hmm. you know that's not the same for everyone i'm just yeah i, I hope no i hope we can remember kind of as a football community moving forward that like 
Yeah, just I think the Sami Nazari thing really did remind me of like, like in what other situation would this be acceptable to just shame this guy? Like that's just like school ground bullying. Do you know what I mean? And 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 in, yeah. other, in every other situation, it wouldn't happen. But because but because it's football, it's fine. It's like it's not, is it? But he's, and I think it's important to remember he's not a footballer anymore. Yeah, he's literally he's just a guy like playing in the game. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. He's just like he's just the same as your mate play, who plays Sunday League. And by the way, he would be a lot better than you. <laughs> Let yeah. me tell you, oh Sami Nasri yeah. would still be a lot better than you. <laughs> Sami Nasri could be this overweight and still boss your Sunday league. He could probably still play in like fucking the conference leagues. Yeah, just because of the technical level. He's just, he, he was it was a baller. Oh, mate. He's a rat though. I'm going to ignore everything I, I just said. He's a him. rat. I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> and we're back. We're back. Uh, we're back. Right, Brad. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, welcome back to Profiles. I think we should do a jingle. Maybe I'll put a jingle on. Maybe you just heard a jingle. I don't know. Profiles! Just that. Um, so uh, we did this before. We looked at uh, Mikel Arteta's coaching team. Uh, I've realised on his Manager of the Month picture, there's another guy there called Shad Forsyth. So maybe we, we should have done it. But He is uh, the head of the sports science division. So uh, I believe, uh, I think it's a lot to do with like kind of periodization of playing players to avoid injury, risk assessments, okay. stuff like that. Done. Profiled. Um, <laughs> I think he's American. I know Shad. nothing. I know nothing Shad. about him, but other than his job title. I wish he was called Chad Forsyth. Chad Forsyth. <laughs> or Chad Fraudsyth, more like. Um, um, so yeah, what we do is we, it's, it's just, the, it's just, we, me and Brad want to learn more about the people around the club, around football, around Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to do a bit of a deep dive. So Brad has got two of the coaches. I've got one of the coaches and let's just jump into it, Brad. Who do you want to do first? Let's go for it. So I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, Steve Round first. We'll have a little chat about him. Now, Steve is probably and i don't mean this offensively the more boring of the two candidates steve um, round he very much steve ball he was brought in as part of the um the three kind of assistant coaches system when when arteta first came in you know it was it was like steve coach him and uh, stoivenberg um but there is i'm trying so hard not to laugh sorry to you right now <laughs> um they actually know each other, Arteta and uh, Round. Well, I should hope they do. They, <laughs> they, <laughs> Imagine they've just met. Free the job. You, you. <laughs> they, they worked together uh, when he... So Round was assistant manager to Moyes, uh, Everton. Okay. So during his time at Everton, he worked with Arteta. And Round himself has had, you know, a, a good, a really good amount of, of professional experience in this country. He's worked at Manchester United uh, he's worked at Everton. He was the director of football at Villa for a while. That was his uh, really? previous job before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his previous job before joining here. I did not know that. Um, it's the point of the show, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Well, that's the that's the point. And when kind of deep diving for more interesting kind of anecdotes or stories, there isn't a lot, purely because he has been and described by Arsenal as brought in with somebody with intimate and in-depth knowledge of the domestic game. Somebody who spent a long time working here, who knows the intimacies of it, knows the kind of real intricacies of it and can help assist on, on those fronts. And 
uh, one of the quotes that I found from him that I found really interesting is about how the coaching sessions work at Arsenal. And he's quoted as saying, there's a group training almost every day and we train skill set, skill acquisition and technical every day. They still go through their skill sets every day and that's in the pre-training or after training. So pre the kind of patterns of play training. Um, And then, for example, we might bring back two centre forwards to do some extra work on scoring. We may decide to do penalties. Every day, though, there's a theme around some sort of skill acquisition. And I found that quite interesting. Mm. Every day, they're trying to get the, the club and the players to 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 be better to learn something new um and then he, he says you know the middle bulk of the session is around the manager's ideas how we play our methodology what we do close to the game we start to train for the opposition so tweaking to exploit weaknesses etc so I, I feel like that's a, a really really interesting insight I feel, I feel like with round he's given away real interesting insights into how the club trains and runs Mm. rather than interesting insights into himself because he's very much kind of self almost the self-proclaimed journeyman in that he's he's worked so long in 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 this division and has so much experience he's almost a a really good head to have around for different ideas to kind of cherry pick steve Uh, journey steve journey uh i've got another quote from him as well um and he says nearly every day i will have contact talk to and communicate with the under 18s and under 23s coaches i sit with them at lunch i might go and see them have a coffee or a cup of tea we talk football play at development which players are doing well and maybe some golf Mm. it's so important that the communication lines are always open and transparent yeah i like to have an office door that's always open all of us coaches within mikel's group have to be and we'll be very open to the rest of the coaches it's imperative we're all on the same wavelength, signing off on the same hymn sheet and have the same ideas of educating the players in the same way. So the transitions for a young player at 17 to step into the under 23s and then into the first team are seamless. So yeah. what this has given me is a real idea that we're creating a real through line of how we run at the club so that players like Patino can make jumps up quicker because they're not going from playing a more... Catanacho star system under the 23s manager to more possession-based, free-flowing. What what, what do you say? Fuego de posición? It's, uh, yeah, juego de posición. Juego de posición. You just said Catanacho. Go on, Brad. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, don't worry. Don't worry. I, I know my shit. Thank you, football manager. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um... Yeah, so I, th- I think the thing that I found really interested in him is kind of his work history and what he says about the club. He also speaks unbelievably highly of Mikel, um, believes he's, in his own words, a prodigy of of kind of his position. Uh, and I think with that and with that word choice comes the situation we're in, you know, hmm. he is a prodigy. He is not the finished yeah. product. Yeah, And it's good that somebody at the club knows that but believes in him yeah but someone like steve you get me 100% and someone like steve round can really facilitate that what I, what i picked out from that mate um is around like the sort of the pathways and the thing is you know we've all been in situations where well my office door is always open but like do you it's not. 
do well maybe it is but like also you have to do a bit of outreach stuff and having that kind of community like you know like your if your boss's door is always open but you never see them you don't you're still gonna gonna feel comfortable like you know coming in and talking to them all the time you have to facilitate that though and and create an environment where that's then accepted. And right. I think that we have almost garnered this opinion of the club that it's a very closed shop, closed door. There's a one group of players yeah, that in, are in, in group, and the rest yeah. are out. Yeah do, yeah, do you know what I mean? But but I guess that doesn't necessarily reflect the backroom staff. And I think like someone like Steve Brown can be someone who kind of smooth smooth things over. He's not mm. he's not got loads to prove. He's just trying to, you know, sort of get through um, and make things work. And I think having someone who can kind of make that sort of, um, I think it's, is it Kevin Betsy who's just been appointed under 23s uh, coming from mm. the England setup? Um, you know, like having someone who can kind of float around and be someone who has an eye on the academy, has an eye on the first team, knows, or, or potentially could we get, you know, Patino in this training session or could we, you know, who's who's sort of coming up through the academy? I know Pear Mertesacker talked about... Um, a sort of grading system where they talked about, you know, the academy players, you know, where are they in their development? What do we think of them? And it's kind of all the coaches come together and have that. And yeah, I think, I think, as you say, creating this kind of community behind, um, behind, behind the, behind the sort of the first team and, and everything we sort of see in the output and the sort of main output of the club is really, really important. And I watched an interview with Steve Round, um, and he seems just really personable. I mean, he gave, um, it was like a, just a random podcast. He gave an hour of his time, um, maybe you could come on our podcast. Um, he just gave an hour of his time and like, come on, Stevie boy, <laughs> Steve pod. Uh, maybe he could like come on the podcast. You know, he, he came on and just talked about, um, really openly, really clearly about what was happening at Arsenal at the time, you know, talking about, I think he talked about like Saka and stuff who were coming through at the time. And he seemed a very, very personable guy. And I think having someone who is a clear head, sort of someone like Stoivenberg, someone like Steve Round at the club while Mikel is there, I would appreciate some sort of more kind of first team managerial experience, but having strong, mature, experienced heads there who are seem personable, seem like people who know the game and understand the game and are, yeah, smoothing smoothing things over can only be a good thing. And obviously I don't know Steve Round, but from 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 the from the interview, I got a very good vibe. He seems like a sort of yeah. a, the sort of person that like if you couldn't speak to Mikel, you could go speak to Steve. Do you know what I mean? Like a kind of a um, nice teaching assistant. Yeah, do you know what I mean? He gives me sort of um Yeah, I had um who was my teacher at school? I a guy called Mr. Furmore, who was my English teacher. And I used to sleep in his classes and he'd sort of let me. <laughs> but um because he he knew I was knackered sometimes and he just, he just le- like but he this is the thing, it's differentiation. He knew that I would do the work in the end. I just sometimes mm-hmm. would like in class I just wasn't bothered because I whatever like he knew but he knew i'd go away and do the reading so it's that kind of it's having that person who understands people and i think mikhail yeah. you know this is huge massive conjecture collection here conjecture ahead. i think mikhail doesn't <laughs> well he just seems and i could be totally wrong this could be complete bollocks and probably is he seems a little bit rigid and stiff and seems a little bit like if you went out for dinner with him it would just be about football and he would, and it would, you know what I mean? Like he, he is just like absolutely obsessed with the game, which to some degree I really like, but you also need personable people who represent the club, who you feel like you can actually talk to, go for a pint with, not just people who are like, I am a football robot. And Mikel gives me that vibe sometimes. Maybe it's his Lego hair, but I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, how do you, I like, what, what's your 
What's your impression on that? Because I, I, I get that sense, but I don't know if it's fair. Do you know what I mean? <sighs> Brad, this is an opportunity I, to slag off Mikel. Come on, take it. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm going to say what I said when we were a, a, a couple of weeks ago. I don't, I think it's really difficult to get the full measure of a man when they're under such immense pressure. This is the thing. Yeah. So because true. there's two routes that you go down. I think you go down the Jose route of making everything a joke and a laugh and becoming a bit of a meme, or which you have to have the luxury of success to do, or you seem to do what Mikel has done and you you harden up, knuckle down, and try to get it working. Mm. And you lose all sense of fun, play, humor. Everything is about getting this job right and everything's about getting this working. And I, I, I have a, I have a certain amount of sympathy for Mikel because I think the man that won the FA Cup and was so jubilant on the lead up is not the man that we see anymore. He's he's, he's greyer, mate. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Um, not air shaming. Just saying. No, I mean fair I, enough. I like know. it's a stressful yeah. fucking job. Like fair play. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I think that it's really hard to give to give any realistic view of what things would be like if things were different but mm. the way that he looks now is yeah he's he's a rigid man for me with slightly more rigid ideas and no flexibility and and that projects on the field that does project on the field yeah and also and it, that projects on the field and leads to certain situations where we can't resolve certain issues mm. quick enough or and whether that's with player personnel or you know I talk about certain players enough mm-hmm. but for me he feels like the kind of man that gets an idea in his head and once it's in there that's it yep I feel like the idea in his head is that Saliba is not ready yeah so no amount of performance could convince him otherwise even though he's captaining the France under 21s and captaining Marseille and oh. performing brilliantly as in like yeah. that does not matter because he has it in his head and that can be a brilliant thing if he makes the right decision yeah the single mindedness and, her- and a horrendous yeah. thing if he yeah. makes the wrong one yeah uh, yeah so and i think it's that there's th- no in between it's that arsen thing of you know he's he's not going to he's not going to take that risk of having saliba in you know, it could go brilliantly, but it could go wrong, but he's not going to take that risk when he's under this kind of pressure. And that's sort of fair enough. I think also having maybe Arteta looks like this a little bit because maybe we're not used to this kind of character, but we also had Arsene, mate. Do you know what I mean? He was like the most charismatic, like charming guy. Um, like he, he, you know, he smile, smiles, good with the media, all that sort of stuff. And, and maybe Arteta looks a bit rigid. I um, I've started a new job recently and it's uh, I have to pick up some uh, I basically like nanny for some children for their for their parents and I pick them up from school and I take them home and for the first week I was just terrified I was absolutely terrified of losing them I was walking through Hammersmith like absolutely shitting my pants that I'm gonna you know they're gonna run off or they're gonna like run in the road or something and I've now done it for two three weeks now and I'm just a bit more relaxed and I think having someone like Steve Round who's picked the kids up from school enough times Steve kids um <laughs> you kind of just you're able to just breathe a little bit and that he gives me that kind of energy that secure energy which i think we need we talk about this in so many different facets though we talk about the fact that we if we weren't 
you know, off on the conversation to kind of backtrack a little, little if we weren't going to play the youth that we already had in Saliba, we maybe should have targeted a slightly older profile of centre-back than Ben White to purely give us that factor yeah. that we don't have in that back line. Yeah. Um, Gabriel will with, give us that, by the way. Yeah, in, in a couple of years, definitely. Uh, and I guess it is, you know, the full-blown idea in, 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 in Project Youth. Um, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it's good that he has that, and he has what seems to be a very reasonable man who will hopefully have the balls to tell him when he's being an idiot. Steve, reason, right? Uh, <laughs> that's enough of that joke. Uh, give me one second, Brad. Did you just like my tweet? We're mid podcast. It, it is funny, isn't it? Well, you were, listen. Hey, you were. Shall I read it out? Yeah, em- go em- on. Imagine if the Mail Online headline. Imagine. No, I'll, re- I'll start again. No, I've ruined it. I've ruined it. I've ruined it. You have to go find it. <laughs> I've ruined the joke. Fuck's sake, Alex. <laughs> Come on. So I'm doing Nicholas Jover or Jover or Nicolas Jover. Uh, he's French. Hey, here's an Arsenal fact Nicholas Jover was at Montpellier. Thank you. The, the year Olivier Giroud won the League One title. He was there in the coaching team. The year Giroud won. The, I thought that was a cooler fact than you've given me credit for. Okay. Um, fine. Uh, so he started off his coaching career at the French club Montpellier. Uh, and then by the end of the 2015-16 season, he went to Brentford. Now, we've had a lot of coaches from Brentford, uh, which is interesting, like Inaki Kanya. I think did Stoivenberg go there? No, someone you had. There's someone else um, who has some some sort of Brentford connections. Oh, yeah, yeah, Kanya, Kanya. Yeah, yeah, but him and someone else, I can't remember. Oh, um, um, uh, and he was at Brentford for three years before going to Guardiola. Going. Oh, it was was it Jorgsen? Jorgsen. Yes, no. that was it. Jorgsen, the guy, the guy he replaced. Um, yeah. Uh, before going to Guardiola, he went Guardiola in 2019. Uh, so he's had a lot of experience experience uh, in the league for. Um, for what five six years now yeah i think uh, j- just a quick point on brentford having a lot of coaches from a club that is kind of doing well yeah and reputationally is like a smart club i think is good like do you know what i mean like if we if we found out if you were like i don't know it's not the same thing but for example if you were a league two club and you were getting coaches that came in from Man United, you'd be like, oh, buzzing because they got an ex- they got a certain level of experience. Well, ours, they don't need that. We don't need that necessarily. What we need is innovation, and we need sort of the next the next big thing. And Brentford feel like a club that are clever, intelligent, have been well run, and you know it's a small thing, but getting in coaches from that that sort of uh, ilk is uh, to me a good thing. Absolutely, it's like one of the you know we were talking before about Rogers to to, to Newcastle. And um, that would be a really smart move for Newcastle purely because they could t- just to ask Rogers, well, what do Leicester do? They run themselves well. What do they do that we can just emulate? Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, and it is things like that that, yeah. that can allow you to kind of improve and <clears throat> and change the way that you're you're working to a more successful model just literally by cherry picking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. He came in to replace yeah Georgson, who moved back to Malmo to become the sporting director. Fair enough, it's a better job. Um, 
Or maybe it isn't for him. Who knows? Uh, Arteta says uh, Jova is someone whose expertise are incredibly useful and valuable for us. Last season, Arsenal had the best record at defending set pieces in the Premier League, conceding just five goals. So Gilgson did good work, but we finished 17th in the Premier League for set piece goals. So I think that's something that Jova wants to work on. Something that really interests me, right? Interests me is he says he wants to develop a set piece style that's recognisable. So he like his one of his goals is to like have a kind of almost like a set piece uh yeah, a methodology, way of working, way of training that becomes recognizable to the eye in the same way Tiki Taka is or what did you say, Kat Katanacho. Um Yeah, Katanacho. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bless you. Um yeah, the yeah, like having a style like that on a on a set piece, which I think is a really kind of cool idea like that that sounds like a sort of a a, a cool aim and could be like where a development place in football um, wait here's have you have you watched ted lasso yeah i couldn't get into it i quite enjoy it right but i i i i think there is something to be said it, basically i'm not going to spoil anything but it comes to the end of the first season don't know if you've seen that far and in their biggest game of the season they they run trick plays Okay. Um, like trick set pieces or trick moves that they call out and then they run and, and they have some varying degrees of success with them. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that is all, that is a very clever idea to have trick set plays that you can, you can call out that gives you, um, an opportunity. Cause so often we, we just see, Oh, okay. The corner's been floated into the back post, or the corner. Yeah, do, 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 do you yeah. Get me? I, you I can... feel like there's real opportunity to exploit that, and to especially if you have certain players. You know, if you've got a Jack Grealish on your team who is going to win you so many free kicks, it's really important to have set free kicks. Yeah, and almost yeah, yeah, yeah. Ways it, I... to work them. And it feels a little bit gimmicky to do like, you know, like false free kicks or like, you know, kind of routines and stuff, I think sometimes. But it's about being effective. And ultimately, if one of them comes mm-hmm. off, I mean, like, remember that Henri Perez one or like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you... The you, penalty. Yeah, the penalty. Like, and I appreciate how it went. But, you know, if it feels a little bit gimmicky. But I think those things, I have seen them work and I have seen, you know, chances be created. And ultimately, it's about creating chances and... Mm-hmm. If it gets us two goals in a season, if or you know, like like why not? It's all sort yeah. of small competitive advantages. Um, ball striking specialist, mate. I love this. I love that. There's just so many special. Like you're going to be a job. Your job as a child. You could say to a kid, "What do you want to be in your life?" They could go, "A ball striking specialist." <laughs> Sounds um, anyway. Uh, Bartek. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his surname. Bartek, Mister Bartek who worked with him at Brentford for two years, said in terms of his work, it was tactical. His work was about the position of the players, uh, 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 the runs they make, the deception, the different variations that can be deployed. I would ask him, what type of delivery do you want? Where do you want the ball to go? Who do we work with? And we would go from there. Nicola has good English, good communication skills, and is good with the players. This is one of the reasons he's had success because he's a very, because he's a very easy person to work with. No conflict, no friction. I can only say positive things about him. Brentford's set-piece work was so highly rated that the England management visited to pick up some tips. So basically, Steve Holland came to Brentford before the World Cup um, <laughs> to work with Dean Smith um, and basically came to see what he was doing. Um, yeah, I think I, I think it's really interesting. It's also something that's a kind of development phase for 
football because League One, for example, the French League doesn't have basically has barely any set piece specialists. And you know, you've got throw in specialists and you've got set piece specialists and stuff. And I think mm. the more football develops, the more people are looking for competitive yeah, advantages. It's like anything. I'm sure mm. there'll be like fucking kickoff specialists at some point. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the best way to make an advantage of a kickoff? Like, we always do that thing where we knock it back and hit it to the left channel and it never seems to work. Why not? You know, why is there not a goal kick specialist? Why is there not a. And it could just be because that'll probably work twice over a season. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that percentage wise is enough. That's enough of a competitive advantage to just lose, p- possibly lose possession and straight a kickoff. Do you get, do you get me? Yeah, 100%. And, and, and like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and predict where football's going to go, but I guess what I can predict is that people will look for more and more competitive advantages. So that makes sense to me that there will be more of those um, around in football. So yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the only thing on him personally is there's a video of him singing, um, Spice Girls is wannabe uh, his uh, initiation which I'll play if you want my future forget my past if you don't get with me better make it fast you know don't go wasting my precious time get your act together we could just be fine so there you go what a voice Uh, if you wanna be my lover you gotta Read out Carlos Cuesta's profile, Brad. Now, Carlos Cuesta is the interesting man for me. I have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six post-it notes here. Uh, I'm going to rush through them. Uh, Don't rush. We've got to time. Degree. Um, but such an interesting character. So at 24, he was the youngest coach ever at Atletico Madrid. At 22, he was coaching in Turin. Uh, he used his own savings to uh, travel Europe to attend different training sessions with different clubs. And uh, his relationship with Mikel started when he, when he went to cities. And the really interesting way that he basically got entrance to City's training ground and to be allowed to, to kind of observe training is he sent vi- them video analysis. He did some video analysis on on one of their games and sent it to the club and Mikel. And he was then invited to come and sit in on a on a training session, which I, I find that fascinating. I that. that a fucking 24-year-old has is obviously so impressive that he sent just a bit of video analysis to be like, oh, come down, watch training. God, what are we doing, bro? Um, come on. <laughs> he uh he was a player that was in youth setups with um Marco Asensio, the the Madrid player. Um, I'm who, sorry. I worked with a Spanish guy, and he always said Marco Asensio. Asensio, Um, who he realised really young that he wasn't going to be a professional footballer, but wanted to be involved in the elite, high level, um, kind of avenues of the game, and and went really quickly into coaching. He kept a photo of him and Essential sitting on the sitting on the bench for uh, a game as um, as motivation. Uh, uh, some of these are quotes from a Spanish article that's been loosely translated. Right. Okay. <laughs> so please forgive me if the word choice might not be a hundred percent. But he kept it his wallpaper, and I don't know if he still does. Uh, as kind of motivation to see that 
his friend who he once played with has now won two Champions Leagues, has two Champions League winners medals. And he his aim is to coach at that level. And I think from, again, this could be language choice. I think he means manage, as in okay. really yeah, coach yeah. at that yeah. level. I think that's the aim and the, and the kind of avenue he wants to take. Uh, he's not somebody who is a specific student of a style at the moment in in the sense that he he wanted to learn from everyone uh had has had conversations with pep klopp Mourinho, uh mikel diego simeone lots and lots and lots of different ideologies ideologues and avenues which i think for a young coach is really interesting it is have you got the anecdote about Mourinho? no Apparently, he sent letters to Mourinho and Mourinho didn't reply. <laughs> of course he didn't. Of course he didn't. Uh, he, he started off coaching the academy for Athleti. And that's how he kind of started to progress in his, his professional coaching career. And he has been described as, and I quote, um, a relentless practitioner of overcoming. So overcoming... There's adversity. so many jokes here. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brad, you can't leave a pause after that and expect me not to jump in. Come Alex, on. Alex, Alex. Um, so uh, for Arsenal, he... I am um, five years old. <laughs> he is the individual development coach, spends time with, with players on skill acquisition, on the things that they need to improve on, helping them with those skills and also on a on a personal level on a motivational level just imagining him with Willian last year going right where do we start <laughs> <laughs> he like Mikel speaks six languages so often communicates in a player's kind of uh, native tongue so i think he speaks french italian spanish english um it might be like Catalan or Basque and then maybe a bit of German. Uh, but again, it's loose quotes from a Spanish article that was quite difficult to translate. Um, he also is quoted as, as saying something really interesting, which I think is a good philosophy to have around the club, which is the more I work, the luckier I will be. And he said that about his avenue into getting into this career into you know literally spending his own savings going around Europe with no promise of a job following clubs trying to get in the room getting in with these amazing managers and learning from them and he said the more that I work the luckier I will be he's described as having desire drive and enthusiasm to be better and to help players be better um he his work for Arsenal uh, it tends to come in the after training session slots. So they'll do the work, implementing the philosophy, and then they'll focus on the skill acquisition with with Cuesta. He will take, um, <clears throat> from everything I've read, he'll take certain players, work with them, maybe the strikers on shooting or whatever, and try and help them acquire different things. Um, with also a view to exploit the weaknesses of the next opponent. So oftentimes when leading up to the game, the skill acquisition sessions will come acquiring a skill that will help exploit the weaknesses of our next, you know, if it's Leeds or if it's Crystal Palace. Each session he does, he films so he can analyze it afterwards. 
see what needs to be done, what was done well, how he can improve and how he can help the players improve. He, from loose memory, he believes that the fitness training should be the work that's done within the general training. Yeah. As in it shouldn't be, you don't do extra fitness sessions. You could do strength training sessions, but fitness sessions should be included in the work that you do in general team training. Uh, rather than extra because then you yeah. can fatigue your players and stuff like and that's, that yeah that's tactical periodization work yeah yeah uh, and he's just a really fascinating character who at such a young age yeah, man. Has, has kind of dragged himself to one of the biggest clubs in the country through pure sheer determination and you know skill and that's at point. such a good energy to have around the club like that's so impressive and also you know was he 20 what was he now 25 26 26 yeah, like working with players who a lot of whom will be, well, a lot of whom will be younger than him, but a, a quite a big proportion of whom will be older than him will certainly feel as though they're more experienced than him in, in some sense is really, is really impressive because you've got, you've got to have pretty big fucking balls to be able to say to Bamiang, look, come here, mate, I can, I can help you with something, you know, you know, to be able to say to a Pablo Mari or some, you know, people who've had long, long, long careers at this point to be able to say, the stuff that he's saying and and it's really exciting to have that kind of energy and have someone who feels like a someone who's up and coming because i think that energy gets picked up on and and you want and that's why that's it's like why do you have a blend in any situation of youth and experience because you have exuberance of youth you have new ideas of youth you have people who want to improve i mean the stuff about constantly going over his 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 sessions and analyzing what happened you know like just hearing that is so great to hear like hear that that energy is in the club do you know what i mean and i'm sure it happens yeah. at other clubs i'm sure it does but it's great that it does happen here as well um and yeah, I mean, it just sounds like a fucking impressive guy. <laughs> like that's yeah, that's what you can say. You know, he and I think he mirrors the energy that we have around a lot of the youth players at the club at the moment. And yes, that is good the point. Hard work, determination, grit, fight, and will to be better has got them where they are. And that, and he, like you say, he ha- he is a good energy to have around the club at the moment. And that can grow as well. I, I think you know if we're trying to develop. You know, we talk about, you know, new Arsenal. I talk about new Arsenal on, on this and what is it? And part of that is is changing the culture. How do you change the culture? Uh-huh. You know, like what what is that about? You know, how do we how do we change the conversations in the dressing room from what, what music you listen to, where you're going this weekend to mate that that touch and training was so good. Oh mate, I need to work on that. You know, oh what do you think of Brentford this weekend? Whatever it is. Like, how do you change the culture? And having someone obsessive who is uh moving towards a certain goal and feels as though they're, they're they're on a trajectory a certain trajectory and it's doing very well for themselves it rubs off on people man it really does like you mm. it's it's that thing of you know kind of surrounding yourself with good people and i i guess maybe the the biggest thing of that is not necessarily good people because people can be extremely extremely skilled and have a terrible work ethic if you have someone who is Eden Hazard is quoted as being yeah it's a horrendous like, worker but an unbelievable skill yeah trains you know trains without without laces on and stuff without his laces done up and look it worked for him for a while but he's thirty now and he's his career's done an absolute nosedive in sort of success terms so yeah I, I and maybe he's getting what he wants fine but if you, if he was looking to get to that level then I I don't think he's done that and there's a reason for that it's because because of his sort of training methods presumably and. 
look, you know, having someone, as I say, around the training ground who does have that kind of energy, it rubs off the conversations change, the the energy changes. The And as he grows in influence and confidence, he will be able to call out Mikel. He'll be able to speak to Steve and Steve will hear new ideas and <laughs> Steve, ideas. But having having a group of people who, you know, like I felt like that was maybe missing from all of the profiles that we've done so far. We've got a nice, I still think there's a sort of football oversight missing someone who's been there done that got the t-shirt maybe at executive level maybe even at the coaching level Roy Hodgson maybe a director of football um, level yeah maybe like as, as I say like a, a executive or I don't know I still think that's missing but I, yeah I think we probably mm-hmm. were missing as well like a, a coach who is like young scrappy and hungry and he's not throwing away his shirt sorry um, oh that? god <laughs> Hamilton reference <laughs> get me off this podcast but yeah look like having someone with that energy I think is really exciting um, and yeah room to grow and room to learn and uh, and room to challenge I think that's that's something like that fearlessness that he, he sounds like he has is, is really exciting yeah it's an exciting time to be an Arsenal fan is it uh, Brad. not with the football we're playing but yeah I know. Um, just before we go we're at Palace on Monday mm-hmm. uh, I am nervous I feel like nah three points three points for, for Mikel's red and white army I believe <laughs> well I hope so I mean look the narrative switch switches so quickly as we always say but I, I just do hope we see a performance that's my main concern is well, that's what we've said all along. We we don't mind the result in certain senses. We just need to just see need an uptake performance, in man. And like that's the thing is like we've ha- we've been promising for so long, and these are the periods now post international break. Like we've got to get off to a good start. And I really I really oh. just want to see a performance. Honestly, mate. Like I if we get if we get beat two one two couple of lucky goals from Palace, it happens, right? But. I just want to see a performance and some fight and some mm-hmm. and some will. That's what I want to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to finish the podcast by sending best wishes to David Brooks. He's um, had Absolutely. stage two uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis. Um, I'm from Bournemouth, so I've sort of seen Brooks's rise at Bournemouth and he is, uh, a, 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 it's it, it, even if he had no skill, it doesn't matter. You know, we, I wish him well, but he's a fantastic, fantastic footballer and I wish him all the best um, in his recovery and um, yeah, just sending well wishes to his family. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 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 Brad, we've just got time. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. That was quick. Yeah. Uh, last time out, I asked you, Bradley, how old is Josh Kroenke. You don't look dissimilar to Josh Kroenke, Brad. I don't know if that's uh, an insult or not. He's quite... He looks like a homeless man at points. Next question. <laughs> How old is Josh Kroenke? 46. Ooh, 41. 41. Ah. The streak's over, Brad. Actually, Ben Ben Brownie beat you last time. Uh, he did. He did. Uh, the question for next time is, where was Jack Wilshire? Born. Where was Jack Wilshire born? That's your question for next week. <laughs> Bit of a random one, but there you go. Uh, good episode, Brad. I love how we yeah, always mate. say we'll record for half an hour and then it's an hour long. End up doing an hour for work. <laughs> yeah, you've got to go. And back, oh, I got a buzz. Back to the frauds. Back to the temple of capitalism, Madam Two, oh. f- Madam Two Frauds. Am I right? Oh fucking hell! Yeah, you are. Thank you. 
listen, pleasure as always. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it different, Knock, and we will see you later because Brad has to go. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.